0: Today we are talking about the problem of Christian nationalism. Use the word problem, yeah do you think it's a do you, do you think it's not a problem jeremy no I'm not saying that but you need to jump right in the deep end well yeah, so part of this conversation comes up just coming out of july july fourth uh uh in in worship for my own congregation, one of the things that i've been critical of in our congregation is the need to fly the flag in the sanctuary. It's just something that I think is sort of strange. And, um, it, so it was July 4th, you know, on a Sunday and I stood up and said, you know, when Christians from other countries, particularly that are oppressed, like China or former Soviet Union countries come to the United States, they will often say in sanctuaries, why are you flying the American flag? I thought in America you didn't have to fly a flag in your sanctuary in your place of worship. I thought that was the point of America. And that is true. You don't have to. In China, you do. I'm just saying in America. No, oh, that's exactly right. <laughs> the United States. No, no, you don't you don't have to. There's oh yeah, apart from popular opinion, <laughs> it, no, touche. um so anyway, I just on the 4th of July, I just I just um before singing a a lovely uh patriotic Tune, America the Beautiful. I said, I said, you know, this is a lovely prayer for a nation, as many nations have prayers for their nation, Uh, but we need to be careful that we're not worshiping the nation, that we're worshiping the God of all the nations, right? So, so anyway, uh, that comment, you know, spurred a little bit of conversation. There was a gentleman that came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, I don't understand why people don't uh, stand more for America. He said, you know, without America, we wouldn't even have this church. And I thought to myself, this is, this is our problem. (laughs) Like we have a history problem. Yeah. And and so, and so I, I did, I, I corrected him. I said, I said, I respectfully, I think you have your history turned around. I mean, the, the reformation, um, the reformation, Leading into you know the time of enlightenment and the different the French Revolution the American Revolution the many of the ideas behind them are ideas of liberation that go well with the gospel. I mean Jesus walks into the synagogue for the first day and says, "I have come to proclaim freedom for the oppressed." I mean freedom movements move pretty pretty seamlessly out of Christianity, but this idea that we wouldn't have a church or something if we don't have America is complete nonsense. I mean there are there are Christians all over the world in places where there are churches where they're not supposed to be. So this idea that you got to have America first is is nonsensical. <laughs>
1: well, how old is our country? 240-something years? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, this was 45. So is the church that old? I mean, what comes first? The church or the con- – you know, like the chicken or the egg, I think. It, it's just interesting that we think that there wouldn't be the church when the church has been in existence for – a little bit longer than than we've been around as, as our country. And I think, once again, I, I think what's also interesting is the church in places of persecution seems to be thriving. And I think that, that in a place where Christianity has traditionally been the dominant voice on some level through most of our history and most of of our existence as a nation and yet we're finding that the church is, is as we have traditionally known it starting to to see some decline or, or or have a little bit of issue and so if if the church exists because we have been given freedom to worship if those two things are mutually they they have to go together then how is it that we're seeing churches explode and boom. And I think it goes back to, we have a, an issue with how we read the scripture potentially that, oh, yeah. that the, the people of God have always done better when they weren't the ones in power. <laughs> they always have done better when mm-hmm. they were um, the minority, you yeah. might say, rather than the majority. And we struggle with power. We, we don't know what to do with it because the whole story of scripture is it's not about your power, but it's about God's power working in and through us. And so that when we get power, I don't know that we know what to do with it. It doesn't seem to make sense or add up when we read the Bible. And so we're trying to hold these two things that I don't think go very well together. And somehow we just can't figure out how to have worldly power and still be true to the gospel and to the cross and Jesus and so we seem to always do better when there are ruling authorities over and we are seeking to be faithful to Jesus in the midst of the persecution, the struggle, the pain. And um, so maybe that that's something well, that to think of, you know, like well, I, I think, think it's
0: a very good connection. And I think that part of the reason that Christianity thrives in oppression is because Christianity is about identity, identity over against the world. Identity in a way that is living out testimony. The problem with nationalism is that you Christian national. The problem with Christian nationalism is that what you do is you start conflating identity. Mm. You start. It's one thing to say in an oppressed nation, no, I'm not. You know, let's say China, for example, I'm not Chinese primarily. I'm Christian primarily. Well, in the United States, you know, there are people. I had a. I have a friend um, who says, you know, I sleep. I sleep with the Bible on one side of me and uh, the Bill of Rights on the other side of me. Uh, kind of this idea that, that the two, they just go so well together. And Where's his wife in the midst? <laughs> no. He's not married. Oh. Not, no. no. Hey, all right. Well, Sorry. Okay. So, but, but anyway, the, the, idea, the idea is, the idea is, and some of you are thinking, maybe the two are connected. I don't, I'm just joking. I'm not, they're not. But but the idea the idea is that these you know, that I can I can live in this I can live between these two things and, and that one so seamlessly like comes out of the other, you know, segues that you know the Bible segues into and that's the way we often tell history, right? You get the Bible and then you get the United States of America, you know, that's this like gift from God to those of us who were born here, the other, you know, seven and a half billion people on the planet, you know, they must have been at print predestined to something you know terrible I don't know but the what I I really do think you make a good point just about the it when we when we, we we do have an identity problem particularly in the United States identifying what is Christian and what is what is nationalism because we want to be understood as a Christian nation that's an analogy that has been used all throughout our history one of the I mean even in our own history though like let's just think about Christianity in America there was a time in the United States where we were incredibly divided on an issue of faith and it was slavery. (laughs) Right. Right. And the people in the South were convinced that they had the truth. All of them were convinced they had the truth. And so naturally they seceded because the truth was on their side and they were, you know, making their own nation. Yeah. And the people in the North felt similarly. Right. And we just, you read sermons from this time. I mean, uh, Religion has played such a significant role in the history of the United States. Well, then after the war, what happens is you have people in the South that don't want any part of being a part of the nation. Well, it's very ironic that recently what has emerged is this um, this, this stars and bars flag that was um, a part of the – I don't completely understand the history of it, but it was a part of the South in some – I don't think it was actually the, the the national flag of the South, but it was in some way – you know part of the south uh, the southern iconography i guess or symbol symbols right, 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 right. and um now this is being used you know in tandem with uh this idea of christian nationalism which is incredibly confusing to me and i think it's disorienting for people of faith who are trying to figure out who who listen to people they trust you know saying if you're a christian you need to be you know pro america and we we're we're waving this this you know this this flag, you know that is historically very divisive, and and I think that we're very very confused.
1: I think that the part that really worries me sometimes is we start to believe, we start to to not be able to see the difference between the Bill of Rights and the Bible, huh. and yeah. we think the two are the same. That that one. And you hear the, the thought of, you know, we were founded on Christian principles. I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't mean we were Christian. Christian. Like, and so I think that we, I've heard things like, um, you know, God gives me the right to, to do all these things. And it comes from this bill of right language. You know, like I have my rights, I have this. But if you read scripture, the only thing Jesus promises again and again, well, not the only thing, but one of the things Jesus promises again and again and again is not that you'll have rights, but that you'll be persecuted for your faith. That you won't actually be able to go. He, I think he even tells Peter, one day somebody will dress you and tell you where to go, and it, it will have nothing to do with with you making those decisions. But if you follow this, if you follow after me, then yeah, one day's go. People will take you, and 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 this is what's coming. There was this, I think, in this illusion, this leading to. This life is is about taking up the cross. This life is about it's going to lead to, to potentially not good things where you won't get to make your own decisions. You will have no rights because you will surrender those for me and my kingdom. But we can think, and it sounds really good sometimes, to say, well, God has given me these rights to this, 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 and this. Um, and it sounds good, and it can bring a crowd, and people can get really fired up, but I'm not sure that that's really the language that we hear Jesus speaking and what we see about what it means to be a person of
0: God. Yeah. You know, there was a a time historically in the last 100 years that we have all seen the detriment of Christian nationalism. And it was fascism, Nazism in Germany. Something that's interesting to me right now, I read, um, Eric Metaxas's. uh, history of uh, Bonhoeffer, biography of Bonhoeffer. Mm-hmm. It's a good book. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy it. I uh, really enjoyed it. I'm a Bonhoeffer fan. I've read his Ethics, his The Cost of Discipleship, and then his little book, Life Together. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I would consider myself a Bonhoeffer scholar, but I'm a fan. I've read those three books. Well, Metaxas is currently a part of this really hardcore conservative evangelical subculture, and he's going around giving talks about like what Bonhoeffer would do today— um well and and it and it, it the song usually sounds something like support Trump. <laughs> and what's just interesting to me is you know Bonhoeffer was considered in his day a flaming liberal by the establishment. By the way, most religious radicals that you and I look back on history admiring uh, in their day, were considered liberals. By the way, Jesus was considered a liberal. Martin Luther King Jr. was considered a liberal, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer was considered a liberal, right? And the reason that these people are considered liberals is because they kick against the religious establishment. They see the the problems with the religious establishment, and they say this is not this is not true to the gospel. And Bonhoeffer, in his own day, <laughs> Hitler Hitler was making speeches saying that he was ordained by God to save Germany. Hitler's Hitler's um. His rise to power was based on the claim, make Germany great again. That was, that was his platform. Like, how do we not see this? I don't, I like, it's, it's honest. I'm not, and the thing is I'm middle of the road. Like I legitimately am not partisan. I love history and I, I um, am a pastor and I love pastoral ministry, but this is so Hitler rises to power saying, you know, make Germany great again. The problem with Germany is all of these people who aren't really German mm. And the pure German is the manifestation of pure Christianity. Martin Luther comes out of Germany. The Reformation doesn't happen without Germany. We look. He looks back and he re- rereads this beautiful history of Germany. And he says, we need to make Germany great again. How are we going to start? We're going to start by getting rid of the Jews, right? I mean, you know. So in, but in even our, Martin Luther
1: and some of his stuff was very anti-Semitic. And oh, some completely. Of his, you know, so it's, yeah, it was probably came very naturally. It was Honestly, very easy. Yeah, it was very easy to make that jump.
0: And and furthermore, seventy years, uh, you know, seventy, eighty years ago is eighty years ago, ninety years ago. Now even is very different than the world in which we live today. So Absolutely. so it is bigotry is much more common. Was much more commonplace in the in. In Hitler rising to power. Well, Bonhoeffer refuted Hitler. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He was a part of an assassination attempt, right? And he was trying to figure out what do you do, how do you create real Christians in the problem of Christian nationalism where there's such a problem of identity. Yeah. And just one of, the most, just one of the most confusing things about being um, kind of an evangelical Christian right now is that there are so many of these voices, you know, like Eric Metaxas out there that are, Pointing people to some false version of identity, you know, of uh, identity of, of a believer that is some, that is, that has additions that are not Christ, Mm. you know, and that is nationalism and Christian nationalism is, is an addition. It's not, it's not essential. If you're, if you're an American, if you live in the United States of America, being associated with a political party is not necessary for your faith. Um, and I can't say that loud enough. There are some people that completely fundamentally disagree with me, but I've not voted in my adult life for a major party candidate because I have not, because I care primar- primarily about integrity. And I also believe in the freedom to vote. You know, I believe that there are people that have died throughout history in some ways to preserve that idea. Of democracy and I'm not gonna just throw away my vote to somebody who has who lacks integrity for the sake of a two party system, right? Jeremy save save me right here, maybe say something <laughs> meaningful.
1: It's meaningful. Um Well, I, I guess one thing I would say is if it if being a Christian was about being part of one of our two party systems, then what hope does Ethiopia have? Or um Yeah, sure. You know, like it yeah. can't be because then you know, we're 4% of the population, and what are the other 96% of the world going to do if they're not a part of the American two-party system? Um, so I, I just think that that's interesting for sure because I don't think we think... Sometimes we think our world is the world. Yeah. And we are a very small part of the world on, on, a, on a grander scale for sure. And, and I think that um, this this isn't... Yeah, like, like I said, it, it can come off as bashing one party or the other and it's not to say that Jesus would be a democrat but it's just interesting that we we sometimes lean so heavily into one or the other and i think Jesus would not potentially i think he would have made both very upset because they would have wanted to wrap their arms around him and I think there's things within both parties that Jesus would look at and say, well, that's not what the, the kingdom is about. That's oh, not completely. what the gospel is about. And, and, and I think this what's so hard is so – this is what I feel like I run into. And I don't know if I've ever actually verbally said this, but it's something maybe I've thought about. Sometimes I think as a pastor, you can come across as speaking against conservative Republicans – But the truth is, I don't have to stand up in my pulpit and tell most people in my church that the Democrats are bad because they already believe that. And so I feel like as as conservative evangelicals, that's (laughs)
0: That's that's (laughs)
1: what we are speaking to because they already believe that Jesus wasn't a Democrat. I just have to convince you that Jesus wasn't a Republican either. Yeah. And so I feel like it can come when we have these conversations that we're always speaking against one of the parties. But I think that most often the people that, that we deal with, that's the thing that they think Jesus is, or that, that this person is the answer. And it most evangelicals in our, what people would consider evangelicals in America are that conservative right-wing voting block, I guess. Is that fair? Does that make sense?
0: Oh, I th- I think it's very fair. Yeah. And so I, it
1: can come like we're rallying against one thing, but once again, most people I deal with already believe the other side is not anywhere close to Jesus. So how do we bring the other people more to the center of what that what it means to be a follower of jesus?
0: yeah it is it is difficult right now in evangelicalism one of my one of my because because the American mind is so polarized politically Absolutely. I find a problem. so I am studying at the University of Dayton right now. And I have people that say to me, you're not an evangelical Christian. And I say, why am I not an evangelical Christian? And they say, because you're lifting up values like the immigrant, you know, or you're you're talking about, you're talking about politics in a way that is not just, you know, conservative nationalism. And I'm like, oh, newsflash for you. <laughs> Evangelicalism, the good news of the gospel, is all over the world and it's not limited, just to your point, to the political system in America. And yes, I am an evangelical Christian and I'm trying to be a part of reforming evangelical Christianity because it desperately needs it, because it's been hijacked by politics in the United States. And the fact of the matter is, we're spending more time arguing about politics than we are doing the ministry of the church right now, in many senses. And it breaks my heart. And uh, you know, to your point, I mean, today, I, and I brought up Metaxas because I'm I'm thinking about him. I've had several people that think he's really smart because he is. I mean, he's when you study history. I mean, you can. The, but one of the things that I fear in our current time is in studying history is I realize that historians have great power, mm. and what what I'm seeing happening is I'm seeing historians read things that happen in history, and then. And then they're saying, so this is what Metaxas is doing. He's saying, here's what Bonhoeffer did then. So here's what he would do now. And it's Metaxas' own political agenda. It's not what you, – you can't do that with Bonhoeffer. You don't know what, what it would look like for Bonhoeffer to live right now. You know right. what I mean? It's just – it's, you know, I mean, no matter Can how much – You
1: do know, with Dr. King and do – like, Yes. And it's, it's fascinating. And maybe this shouldn't be fascinating, but – those people would never be against what those people
0: <laughs> are for. Yeah. Somehow,
1: all the people through history would be on their side and, and fight for their agendas. That
0: is one of the things that I'm finding is that as people study history, it seems like they're not studying them to be objective or to learn, but they're studying them so that they can say, "I've read these things, and now this person is on my side." Mm. You know, and I think that's I think that's only really Uh, exacerbating or making worse the divide between us. So talking about Christian nationalism, I do think that talk, it is a historical conversation in the sense that really, um, at the inception of our country, the idea was that the people, people in power had a sense of, had a sense of faith, even like Jefferson and these folks, they're understood to be deists, people that their worldview was fundamentally, you know, there is a God You know, Darwinism and Darwinian evolution didn't come didn't come about until the century after the Revolutionary War. And so, yes, when people say, you know, historically, you know, let's, let's look at the founding fathers and these people were, they all had, you know, they were Christians and they all had, you know, God as the center of their lives. Well, that was a very, very different world then to not, to speak against God in many senses would people would deem you insane you know yes people were closet agnostics and and atheists back then but it was but in a in a country that was that was developed with you know um conservative uh like mennonites and amish in pennsylvania and catholics in maryland and all the different sects with a t up in up and upstate new york you have, you have these different factions of christianity coming together to form these states nobody's going to, the, the atheism is just is the furthest thing from right. what any of them uh, is the interests of any of the people leading these various communities that came together to shape the united states of america and and the fact of the matter is um that United States of America doesn't exist anymore because of immigration, because of what happened in the early 20th century. I mean, there are more people that, that came from outside to form, this, to form this nation for a period than people that were, that were born here, uh, right? And uh, apart from Native Americans, and I don't mean to get into that. Right, right, right. I mean, that's right, 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 the, right. the whole... Different podcast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but but there, is this, there is this idea that um, that my identity as an American and as a Christian, somehow need to go together. And what I'm, my great concern is I don't think that we know history well enough to even make that proposal. And the more that I study history, the more concerned I am with our Christian identity in America today.
1: I think we need a new, um, scorecard or measuring stick. And so here's how I'll explain that. Um, so at, at our church this Sunday, we're going to look at a passage in Luke 22 where Jesus has just done the Last Supper. He says Judas is at the table. He doesn't say it like that, but the hand of him and mine are on the same table right now. And um, so the, all the disciples get in this argument about, it's not me. And they, and they almost get this essence of like, I knew Jonathan would do this. If, if, you know, like they're they're almost trying to. I knew he, this guy would, they're trying to figure out who it is, Mm. which leads to a conversation about who the greatest is. Like I would never do that, which leads to Peter saying, I would go to prison. I would die. I would die. And Jesus is like, no. And then there's this interesting thing where Jesus tells them um, to get a sword. Now people hear this and, and they think Jesus is calling them to arms, but it's almost this idea. I'm sure this is not you, Jonathan, but you know, maybe some other husbands or whatever, when somebody says something, you hear what you want to hear rather than what's actually being said. You hear what you want to. And so they hear, all they hear is Jesus say, let's get a sword. So they're thinking, it's time. Let's, this, is, this is what we've been waiting for. The revolution. And there's this line where Jesus quotes Isaiah 53. And I think we missed that. Now in a rabid, you know, rabbi's, when they quoted a passage it wasn't just that verse they were concerned about but what was also around it and so jesus throws in this one line from isaiah 53 which if you know what isaiah 53 is is he was crushed servant, right? yeah suffering servant that jesus is saying you you are hearing what you want to hear and it's almost like jesus at the end is like they're like here here's our sword and jesus is like that's enough like <laughs> let's just let's just do this like you know and and i think because then two stories later is when Peter cuts off the guy's ear and Jesus says, put that away. Like, didn't you just hear that I'm, I'm not calling you to this violent revolution, but actually to serve all of these people. Yes. You're arguing, they heard what they wanted to hear, but they didn't actually hear what Jesus was trying to tell them. The suffering servant. This is what this whole kingdom is about. Um, there, And then I'll, I, I'll wrap it up. I, I think sometimes we use this quote to talk about negatively towards people, but Dr. Maya Angelou has a great quote that I think when we put it to Jesus, it's like, Oh wow. Um, When people show you who they are, believe them. And I think Jesus through the whole gospel, through his life, through what he did was showing us exactly who he was and we need to believe him, but we don't, we, we want to turn it into something else And so when somebody shows you who they are, like I said, we usually do that with, hey, if this person turns, you know, stabs you in the back, believe them. If this person does this. But what if we turned it on Jesus and said, no, he's trying to show you who he is. Maybe you should believe him and not read into your own understanding or hear what you want to hear rather than what's actually being said. Um, And I think speaking of German theologians, uh, Dr. Jürgen Moltmann, the way we change the scorecard is he says... The way we tell whether something is Christian or not is the cross. And if it doesn't match up to the cross, then it isn't Christian. And he said that in a book called The Crucified God. Um, And and I think we need a new measuring stick, that we measure what we think because we hear what we want to hear rather than actually seeing who Jesus was and how he lived and what this whole kingdom was about. And we need to bring it back to uh, when, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. And we should... Lean into what did
0: Jesus actually do and what did he actually say and believe it. Well, so to that point, Christian nationalism. Let's imagine for a second that we were going the way of Christian nationalism. Let's say that Christian nationalism, that was the way we were going to save the world. Well, if we were really being Christian with our nationalism, our policies would not be America first. Mm. Because the cross would say the world first. The cross wouldn't say we're done, we're dutting, we're done letting China take advantage of us in trade. The cross would say, What if we oriented our policies to serve China, possibly the most lost nation in the world? What if we tried to leverage our influence with China to bless them, to blow them down with blessing, as Paul would say, to heap burning coals in their head? I mean, if we were doing real Christian nationalism. It would not look like America first. It would be like we are going to be a blessing to the world. Real Christian nationalism would not look like made in America. No, it would look like made in Honduras. Because those people need some money. Have you been there? It would look like made in Haiti. You know why? Because those people actually need something. You don't need anything.
1: You don't need anything. And isn't that how the whole story begins? I'm going to bless you so that you'll be a
0: blessing. Yes,
1: yes how it's the way it begins i'm gonna bless you i'm gonna give you all this stuff not for yourself though so that through you i can bless the
0: whole world there will be somebody out there who hears what i just said and is going to reach out to me and say you don't understand how uh, economics or politics or global global um economics work and i will just say to that i you're right i'm a pastor And what I'm primarily concerned with is the way that people in local communities treat their neighbors. But the fact of the matter is our international politics are affecting drastically the way we treat each other in local communities. And it's bothering me. And we we have got to change it because we've lost our way drastically. And we need to to be more Christian and less nationalistic.
1: Awesome. Hey, before we go... um, Jonathan Berkey has a new album out that oh, you Jeremy. need to download. Jeremy, yes, Love in Middle America, Lima. Yeah, 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 Interesting. yeah. yeah. Interesting, nice, nice, nice. And it's got a great jam where he is defending his his hometown. It's it's quite lovely, and uh, some other great great tunes as well. I'm going to
0: say something about that. In 2014, the Rolling Stone wrote a front page article. It was called the the article was called "In Defense of Obama." It was a political. Um, Rendition of edition of the Rolling Stone, but the cover story was about Lima, Ohio, and how Lima, Ohio is the worst is the worst place in America, worst place in America to live, particularly because of conservative politics. What they've neglected to mention is that the mayor of Lima since the '80s has been a Democrat. But I, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's just like any like any news story. Like it's just terrible. Like it's absolutely terrible. And so I wrote this song Lima, just thinking about like what if, what if. What if everybody that wrote a story about something or someone that was not them, what if they actually had to love it first? Oh, it's beautiful. Because everybody's just writing stuff about stuff they don't love. Oh, it's right? awesome. Right? And it's just so anyway, yeah, love. It's very feel.
1: lyrical and that you wouldn't Thank know, you. but it is defending his city to Thank the you, nth Jeremy. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's so, beautiful. So But also some other great, great get download it downloaded, iTunes. Spotify. You can get it for
0: free if you just go to my name, jonathanberkey.com. I bought my URL a while ago, and it was just sitting there on ice. And so I had my friend just put the album up there. That's all it is. You get a but picture dude, of But, dude, help me. a
1: brother. Go buy it on iTunes. Well, you that's don't what you I don't need did. to. That's so, what I No, yeah, really yeah exactly. that's you got to. That's very and, uh, sweet. you gotta, check you, it out on Spotify. You got to check it out. It's, it's, it's great. Yeah, it's love great. in middle America. Thank you. Yeah, love Jeremy. in middle America. See ya.